Well, again, good morning. Glad to be with you, especially uh, this Sunday as we start a new series in the book of Acts. So we'll be in chapter one this morning. So if you brought a Bible or if you have one at home or if you're using the bulletin, you can turn to page nine. Uh, We'll be in the book of Acts for the next 15, 16 weeks. That'll take us really all the way through August. So we're looking forward to traveling through this book with you. Uh, one of the things we also will be doing that you'll notice here is is reading as much of the text as possible in each chapter. And I realize that for some that might be difficult to to pay attention to that long, or especially if you have kids and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, do um, uh, give as much as you can your attention to 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 those long readings because. Just in the way that Acts is written, hearing the big chunks and hearing the narratives um, is just really important. And we think it's important enough to spend the extra few minutes to read that in its entirety. So with that being said, let me read for us God's word found in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. There, printed on your bulletin on page 9. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up before you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, a that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may may his camp become desolate 
and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. But they put forward, and they put forward too, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we listen to your word preached, that your spirit would go out, that it would penetrate hard hearts, that it would create in our hearts a good soil, such that as a seed that goes into soil and produces a fruit, that you would change us by your spirit, by your word. Open our eyes and our ears now at this time that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if uh, some of you have had the experience of once living in a place, uh, maybe you grew up there, maybe you went to, to college there, maybe you worked there for a season and then you left to go live somewhere else. And, and then maybe five, ten years down the road, you returned. And as you returned, you began to drive around that place or, or sort of just visit it as you normally would, perhaps going to certain restaurants or sites that were special or meaningful to you. But all the while, you kept thinking the place is the same, but it just feels different. There's something different about it. Uh, for me, I remember very vividly the time that I returned to Knoxville, Tennessee after graduating from the University of Tennessee. And as I went back there, not much had changed in Knoxville. Uh, there was still the sun sphere there uh, from the World's Fair. Not really sure what that even is. There was still a football stadium there, of course. Um, not much was happening in there, though, in the days since. But it was the same place. It just felt different. It didn't feel like it did when I was there when I was in college. But, in fact, it was the same at the same time. Um, I think as we move into the book of Acts, that's a good way to uh, uh, sort of describe what Acts is like. For Luke, who is the author of Acts, it is a part two of his gospel that he started back in the gospel of Luke. And Acts functions as a continuation of Jesus' own ministry. And so what Luke wants us to, 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 to see and, and how he wants us to, to read Acts is to read it as the same gospel, the same ministry of Jesus, the same Jesus that he wrote about in his gospel is the, is the same Jesus carrying out his ministry in the book of Acts. But perhaps like you, for me, when I read Acts, it's just different. There's just something different there about it. And what I want, want to call our attention to over this series is to remember that though it might feel different, it is the same. It is the same Jesus with the same gospel and the same ministry going forward by his Holy Spirit. And so with that as an introduction in one sense to the book, I want us also uh, to look at three things this morning, sort of uh, uh, foundation points, if you will, 
As we begin to see how the book of Acts will be, in fact, a continuation of Jesus' ministry after he has ascended. And what we see in chapter 1 are these three things that, that, that um, are sort of set the stage for the continuation of his ministry. And that is the establishment of leadership for the gospel mission. The message of the gospel mission and the direction of the mission itself. So let's look at those things in that order this morning. The establishment first here of leadership for the gospel ministry. Luke, as I said, begins his part two here the same way that he ended his part one, his gospel, his gospel of Luke. And that is with the ascension of Jesus. And the ascension is Jesus's physical body leaving this earth to go be with the father in heaven. And as I said on Friday to our gap kids, our fifth and sixth graders who've been going through the New City Catechism. I said, listen for the shout out because here it comes. One of the questions that we've been reviewing is, where is Jesus now? Question number 49, and this is the time when you want to turn to your parents and tell them the answer to this if you're paying attention. Where is Christ now? The answer is, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling his kingdom and interceding for us until he returns to judge and renew the whole earth. This is where Christ is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling his kingdom until he returns. And Luke ends his gospel there. But he begins part two acts in the same place for continuity to show us that all of acts like the gospel is about one thing. And that is the continued ministry of Jesus Christ. The ascension in one fact then ends his earthly ministry, Luke shows us, but it begins his heavenly ministry. And what's fascinating about how acts begins is that before Jesus even ascends into heaven, He does something first that might actually be surprising to you. I know it was to me. And that is he establishes leadership for the continuation of his ministry. And he does this by choosing apostles for the gospel mission ahead. What is an apostle? Well, the word apostle means sent out or sent ones. And apostles are those who are sent out with authority to accomplish such a, a specific task or purpose. Unlike disciples, who disciples are those who are called to sit under the authority of somebody to teach, be taught and to learn, which they, they were in Luke's gospel. Apostles then are sent out with that authority to do that mission. That mission. And this is what we'll see um, as we continue in Acts. But Jesus chooses these apostles who will be the leadership for his gospel mission going forward. Actually, as we, we see in this first chapter, you can't be an apostle here Unless you were what? A witness to Jesus' own resurrection. A witness to him after he had raised from the dead. And also, as we see there in verse 22, in the calling of Matthias to, to fill that spot of Judas, you had to be with Jesus from his earthly ministry, from the time of his baptism to the time of his death. This is also one of the reasons why our tradition... Uh, I recognize as an apostolic age, if you will. Um, that is that none of us meets the criteria of an apostle anymore. We have not seen or been witnesses to the resurrected body of Jesus. And we are not with Jesus through his ministry. Therefore, that age has stopped. But this is what an apostle is for this new stage of Jesus's ministry to be witnesses of him and his resurrection. And this is where he starts his continuation of his ministry by calling these apostles to be the leadership of the church. 
We look there in verse 1 of, of Acts. In the book, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after, it says, he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them, it says, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. We also see that Jesus tells them two things here, to stay in Jerusalem and to wait on the Holy Spirit. And so that's what they do, along with the whole group. That is, there's about 120 there, we see in verse 15, which included, as Luke puts, other disciples, uh, the women who uh, would be, we think, referred to there in Luke chapter 8, uh, the women who were with Jesus, who supported his ministry out of their own means. And then Mary, the mother of Jesus, is with them, along with his brothers. This is the group. Now, why does Jesus establish this leadership first? Why not just wait on the Holy Spirit to direct everyone's path and decision-making? Why, why not wait for the Holy Spirit to continue his ministry going forward? Why do this first? And the answer is a simple one that I want us to see this morning. And that is simply leadership is critical. Because, because it is critical. Um, and it is critical, excuse me, because Jesus' ministry is going to be a ministry to people through people. Let me say that again. Leadership is critical. And it is critical because Jesus' ministry is going to be a ministry to people, through people. And to do that, you must have leadership. In Luke's first gospel, only gospel, we saw Jesus, what, calling disciples to himself, teaching them, spending time with them, preparing them, really shepherding them, right? This is a ministry to people. And then he does what? He's calling them to be fishers of men, we read, What is that? That's the ministry to people through people. He wants them to be the ones doing the ministry by his Holy Spirit. And because that's true, as we will see as the book of Acts unfolds, leadership is critical for the gospel mission going forward. And it is the first thing that Jesus does here. Acts, if you will, is just as much about the need and the role and the importance of leadership than it is really about anything else as Jesus establishes his church which will continue the gospel mission as we'll see going forward. But fast forward to today, and you are here you are presently with the church, and the church itself still, because it is the continuation of Jesus' ministry until he returns, depends on and relies on good, effective leadership. And we call those leaders elders and deacons in our church. Why? Because it is still Jesus' ministry to people through people. Jesus is still calling disciples. He's still teaching them, still showing them uh, himself uh, by his spirit. And then he sends them out to do ministry through them to others, overseen by leadership, by elders in a church. It's that important. It's so important. It's the first thing that he does. And we all know this because we've all been a part of, at one point in time or another, a company or an organization or a church that, that, that suffers from poor leadership. Or we have seen the results of it. And there's a part of us really that, though, that we want to believe though that leadership, especially in the church, doesn't really matter. You know, Jesus is the only leader that we need, we say sometimes. And there's some truth to that. 
But show me a church, show me an organization, show me a company that is thriving with poor leadership. Show, show me people who are thriving uh, under bad leadership. It just doesn't work and we know it and here's why. Because we, because people need to be led. All of us. And this is where the sheep metaphor throughout scripture becomes so clear. All of us must be led or we will die. If sheep are not led, they will die. And while we may not physically die, what Jesus knows as he continues his ministry is that we will spiritually die if we are not continued to be led by people that he establishes as leaders in his church. Jesus, yes, is our ultimate shepherd, but he leaves us, thankfully, little s shepherds, if you will, by his spirit for his ministry. This is how crucial leadership is, uh, both in the beginning here of Acts, but also for his church. And by way of application, good leadership, good leadership anywhere always comes from people who they themselves are also being led to. Don't forget that. The church is not a dictatorship. Good leadership anywhere always comes from people who they themselves are being led. And so the question here at this point is, are you being led? Especially if you are somebody who is in a place of leadership. Is there accountability there? See, it is mission to people through people as Jesus begins here in part two of Luke's story. The apostles that Jesus is sending out to lead and be the leadership of the continuation of his ministry will never stop being led themselves. Sometimes by each other, as we remember, as we look to the book of Galatians, where Paul has to confront Peter. But ultimately by Jesus himself. This is the first point. The establishment of leadership for this mission is the first thing that Jesus does in the book of Acts before he ascends. Second, though, is we get to the message of this gospel mission. If Jesus establishes his leadership by sending them out to do something, what are they supposed to do? What is that something? What is the task or job? And verse 2 tells us that Jesus, before he was taken up, actually gave the apostles commands. And what were those commands? Those commands were to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, it is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the message of this gospel mission. If we go back to the end of Luke's gospel, we have Jesus telling his disciples in chapter 24 these words. Thus it was written that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, he tells them. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Again, this is the end of the gospel of Luke. Sounds just like the beginning of Acts, doesn't it? But it's essentially the great commission. Then as Luke begins here in this First book of, of Acts, in the, as, as we just read in verse 1, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication here is that Acts will be a continuation of all that Jesus what began to do and teach after his ascension by the Holy Spirit to his followers, beginning with the apostles. In other words, friends, the message is the same. Go preach forgiveness of sins for repentance for that forgiveness because I have died. I have bled. I have, I have made atonement for those sins. This is how Acts will be a continuation of Jesus' ministry because the message 
that is being sent is the gospel of Jesus Christ, how forgiveness for sins is now available. This is the message of the mission, but it also becomes the mission itself to be cliche. You might have seen or heard the movie 1917, which uh, takes place in uh, World War One, And the plot is very simple. I'm not going to spoil the movie for you. Um, wouldn't dare do that. Two British soldiers are given what a message and they uh, must, must take this message into enemy territory that tells a captain to not advance um, because there's n- nearby enemies that they don't know of, to not advance. And in doing so, this will save the lives of thousands of soldiers. And so all they have to do is cross into enemy territory uh, within a fixed amount of time and get this message there. It's practically impossible. I won't tell you what happened, of course, but the basic plot of the movie is this. Get this message to this place, to this person, or people will die. The the mission is, in fact, the message, and the same is true for the book of Acts. But instead of it being a message that says, get this message to this place, to this person, or people will die, the message that, that, that the apostles will be carrying in the book of Acts, book of Acts says, get this message to this place, to these people, that someone has died. And because of his death, you can now have life forever. You can now experience forgiveness. You can now be free. The message is, in fact, the gospel here, and it is the mission. And like those soldiers in that movie, it is, uh, it is worth being, uh, is worth carrying, and it is worth putting your life on the line for. What helps us then to trust as we move along through Acts is uh, to trust that this message is true, in fact, is actually seeing something that takes the world by surprise. And that is people, as we look through, as we go through the book of Acts, people are happy to die for the sake of this message. See, the tension in a movie like 1917 is, will these soldiers make it? Will they stay alive? Will they survive? And it is a good and right tension. We should want to sit there and watch this movie and hope that they will and that they do. But when we get to the New Testament, surprisingly, that tension is not there. That tension of will the apostles survive? Will Paul make it? Will Peter make it? Will they survive is not there. Why? And this is important because death is no longer the end and they know it. The early church knew it. Paul knows it. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Jesus is real. Death is not the end, and they know it. And that is the message, friends. So let me ask you, do you know that this morning? Does your heart need to hear that message again? Because I know mine does. Does the message of the gospel of Jesus and his love for you say, death is not the end. God has made it right who is alive and who is ruling all things until he returns. And that Christianity then is not just about the forgiveness of sins, though it is, but that this forgiveness leads us to an eternal relationship with Jesus because death is no more. That's the message. And friends, it is worth carrying and it is worth believing, worth putting your life on the line for as we will see in the book of Acts. This is the message of the gospel mission where the mission truly is the message. Uh, But lastly, where does this message need to go? Where does this mission go from here? And this gets to the final point of the direction of this mission. 
The direction of this mission comes to us in verse 8, which says that to Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth is where this will go. In other words, the mission will go to the Gentiles, to the nations. That's the, the direction. And the very fact that this happens actually is evidence that Jesus, what, is with us, that Jesus is alive, that he is doing this, that he is at work through his Holy Spirit. And for two reasons. One, God is always the one working his plan for his purposes until the day he returns. And one of the, just the the, the clear example of that is the book of Acts itself. The message is to go to the nations, to the ends of the earth. And where does the book of Acts end? Yes, uh, this will be a spoiler alert. It ends in Rome, which for this time and place, that is the ends of the earth in chapter 28. We won't get that far in our series, but listen to the last few verses of the book of Acts and let this comfort your soul. After Luke writes about Paul being in Rome, making it to Rome, he says this, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. There it is. Mission accomplished. Verse 30, though, he, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I love that final phrase there. John Stott has this to say about it. Without hindrance means that although the military surveillance continued, there was no ban by the authorities on Paul's speaking. Though, he, though his hand was still bound, his mouth was open for Jesus Christ. Though he was chained, the word of God was not. Amen to that. So God is always the one working his plan for his purposes until the day he returns. Jesus is with his people. This is the continuation of his ministry then as it is now. But the second reason that we can trust and know that Jesus is with us is because there's no way this gospel mission gets to the nations, gets to the place that it's supposed to go without Jesus because our hearts, friends, would not let it if it were left to us. You probably noticed this from our gospel study of Mark, but did you catch verse six there? When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, and these are his disciples, now apostles. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? All commentaries quote Calvin here. Someone quoted for you saying there are as many errors in this question as words. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? What is wrong with it? What's wrong with it is the apostles still want to be Jewish. And Jesus essentially says to them, you have to die to your national identities if you are going to be a part of my gospel mission to the nations. In other words, their hearts, friends, still want the kingdom of Israel. Not the kingdom of Jesus. In fact, we see this throughout the whole entire New Testament. And it's Paul's whole point in Galatians, which reads more like a rant. If you've ever read this thing than anything else, the man is coming unglued from the start of that epistle. As he starts that book, why? Because the gospel has been mixed with national identity. With being Jewish, saying you must be circumcised and have faith in Jesus, which Paul says that is no gospel at all. 
So Paul, in three to four different ways in that letter, tells them the message of the gospel against their desire to hold on to their identities. In other words, their hearts want the kingdom of Israel, not the kingdom of Jesus. And the same is true for us. And this is... This is proof, the fact that that Paul even gets to Rome, the fact that the gospel has made its way here to Fort Worth is is proof, right, that that Jesus is alive. That he is the one bringing this to the nations. Because if it were left to ourselves, we would not be, we would not do it. We would what? We would want this to be on our terms. Because as we learn, the gospel says this, that when you become a Christian, you become something new. You become something different. And the first thing these Christians must learn is they are gone. If they're going to be a part of Jesus's gospel mission is that being a Christian is not synonymous with, with your national identity, with your personal likes and dislikes. And here's the rub. I want it to be. I really do. Because I, what I want is I want for everybody to be like me. Why can't everybody love college football? Why can't everybody love McDonald's? I don't see anything wrong with that. And the point of that is I don't want to change. I want people to be like me. The apostles don't want to change. They want to remain Jewish. We want to remain American. But what did Jesus do for you? He entered our world. He became like us so that we might become like him. This is what the apostles must do as they begin this gospel mission. This is the only way it's going to get to the nations, to the place that it's, it's called to go. And it's, it's what the church must continue to do as we continue in the mission of taking the gospel to the nations as well. We must enter other people's worlds, friends. We, which means we must become like them, which means we must be willing to change. Now, the Bible is not saying, let me be clear about this, that you have to ignore or be ashamed of or even hide your love for your country or nationality or where you're from. It is not saying that. But I will say it is saying this, that if, if that is not a, a barrier of sorts, if there's not places in your life where you are never rejecting your national identity for the sake of the gospel, if you're not becoming like others so that they might know Christ, then you are asking in so few words, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to fill in the blank to Israel, to America, to China? Whatever it might be. And friends, that is no gospel at all. That's not even, and that's not the direction of the gospel mission as we see here. The direction is to the nations. This is why Paul will literally say, I have become all things for all people that I might, what, win some for Christ. First Corinthians 9. He goes on, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all. That I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew to those under the law became as those under the law. To those outside the law became like those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And then in chapter 3 of Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? The mission in Acts is not about the kingdom of Israel, friends. And it is not about the kingdom of America. 
It is about one thing and one thing only, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is the one at work here. He is the one who is alive and who is ruling because it would never happen if it was left to people like me who really do not want to change. But the fact that I'm even open to the consideration and the fact that the church is growing and is, and is in Fort Worth is evidence that God is at work amongst his people. Praise be to God for that. Jesus is not only in charge, though, of his gospel mission. He loves us enough, though, too, to change us. Do you notice the patience there in verse 6? He's patient with us still. He's patient with the apostles as out of the gates, friends. Chapter 1, they ask a question that if I'm Jesus, I'm about to scream and say a lot of things that I'm going to regret later. But that's not what Jesus does. He's patient with them. He loves them. He knows them. He has borne their sins and carried their grief. And the same is true for you. And the more that that gospel gets into our hearts, the more we change, the more the nations receive this mission, this message. Because it is in spite of our sin that the gospel mission of Jesus continues to reach the nations, continues to the ends of the earth. It is why we can trust that Jesus is still with his people, is still alive with us, is continuing his ministry, fulfilling his plans until he does return. Well, we've seen three things. The establishment of his leadership here in the first chapter of Acts. We've seen... The mission or the message of that mission, which is the gospel, it's the same message. And we've seen the direction in which this gospel goes, and that is to the nations. We leave you with a question. Where do you need Jesus to meet you the most in the book of Acts this spring and summer? Where do you need Jesus to meet you the most as we go through this book? And I could go back and look through some of this and maybe you would resonate with this. You know, is it, is it in his leadership, right? Is it in the church that maybe many of you have been burned by the church before? Maybe you've been uh, burned by authority figures in general. And so why would I trust any type of established leadership? And I get that. Is that where you need Jesus to meet you as we go through the book of Acts this summer? Is it in his message that you're not sure that you believe the gospel? That you're not sure that, that it's true, that it's real? Is that where you need him to meet you? Or maybe it's in the direction, the plan, right? right this, if this gospel is supposed to go to the nations, then why, why does my family not believe? Why do I have loved ones I've been praying for for years who don't believe? Is this thing even real? Where do you need Jesus to meet you the most in the book of Acts as we go through it this year? As you pray about that, I would encourage you to pray about that. Let me leave you with verse 23. As the apostles gathered to pray, they said these words, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all. And what that phrase literally means is heart knower, right? It's cardio gnostis. Friends, Jesus knows you. He is the heart knower. He knows you. He knows your heart. He knows what you need. And this book This morning is an invitation, right? It's an invitation for you to know him just as he knows you. To know his love for you. To know his love for the church. Because as we get to know Jesus more, we know the things that he loves and what they're supposed to be, even though they're not that yet. (laughs) They're not there. 
So we know his love for the church. We know his love for you as we look at his message and maybe for the first time, his gospel. We know his love for others as we see it going to the nations for the sake of those who are lost, who don't know him. Would you consider that an invitation this morning as we are invited to know Jesus as he knows us? Acts is a wonderful place for you to begin that with us. Be be with us. Join us next week as we look at chapter 2. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message. And we pray, Lord, now that as we consider and begin to look at this book, uh, maybe for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time, that we begin to see in new and fresh ways um, just your love for us, your love for us in your church, your love for your church, your love for us in your message and your gospel. Lord, in the way that you love others, by sending that message, by sending that gospel to the nations, would you give us a heart that loves those things as well? Would you break us in the areas that we need to be broken? Would you meet us in the places that we need you to meet us, wherever we might be? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.